Hello and welcome, heroes, to the Crit Academy. I am your host, Justin. I am your co-host, Austin. And I'm your co-host, Ian. We're doing so great today. <laughs> we are off to a great start, as always. <laughs> we hope to inspire you with creative content on your next adventure, as we always do here. Uh, we want to thank everyone for joining us today here at Crit Academy Studios, where everything's made up and your roles don't matter. Yeah, that's right. Your roles are like a villain without a dastardly plot. Yep. Useless. <laughs> Let's yeah. be honest. Um, dastardly plots are super important when it comes to D&D, especially when trying to build a great story. Don't get me wrong. I love a good monster slaying dungeon crawl as much as the next fat guy. Oh, absolutely. But sometimes you want something more. You want something that really brings your game to life. You want something with a little more purpose. Yes. Um, <clears throat> now, uh, today we're going to be talking about uh, crafting a dastardly plot. Um, we're going to give you seven tips today. Um, now, I would, as much as I would love to take credit for all this flash of genius... Um, I did not come up with any of this. I am a big fan of Cobalt Press, so I own all their game mastering and um, game design books. And so I was Cobalt reading Press through is one. So good. Yes, I was reading through one, and I found this awesome segment written by Ed Greenwood. Who is Ed Greenwood? The guy who made the Forgotten Realms. Yeah, uh, but kind of an important name. Yeah, yeah, he's big in the D&D world, right? You know, just a small-time creator of D&D. <laughs> right? So um, this little segment was written by him, so I kind of took everything I had and I kind of condensed it. But there's something that was in there that really, really caught my eye as far as D&D, because let's be honest, railroading has a very negative connotation, right? It does normally, but... Uh, it doesn't mean it's bad, though. Right. There, There is always uh, some pros to having a railroaded-styled yes. campaign. There's definitely pros and cons to it. Well, when I saw this little quote in there, I, I was super excited. This is uh, from Ed Greenwood. It says, bring on the railway track with the bound captive, the mustache to twirl, and the scheme to endanger the world as we know it. Ah, yes. Now, why I like that, because that's saying it's okay to have a story that is on a little bit of a railroad. Yeah, yeah. nothing wrong with it. I've definitely had players say they're cool with low railroading if it keeps the game moving. <laughs> yes, and that's actually, honestly, that's one of the benefits, I think, to railroading. Absolutely. Though, let's be honest, people do like their, their freedom. We're not saying strip that away. You can have a railroad that has multiple tracks, right? Oh, absolutely. Um, but when, and that's kind of necessary when you're going to develop a dastardly plot in your D&D games. Yes. Because as much as we want to be able to say we can predict everything that the players are going to do, we, can. we, we can't as, as game masters. Not and we'll be, we'll be shafting ourselves if we try. Oh, yes. So um, with that, um, it kind of leads me into the one of the first points of this, uh, this topic. It's heroes in plots. You know, Do you guys know what the difference is between an adventurer and a soldier? One gets paid a salary and one doesn't. That's a good one, but no. That's, <laughs> that's, that's a very good, good one. I wasn't, that's nice <laughs> that's one. a I very like good, uh, uh, but no, that's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, honestly, the answer is a little s simpler than that. One seeks out to change and influence the world in some sort of fashion. Right. That's what adventurers do, right? Kind of, They yeah. go out and the, they either want to save people, they want to rob tombs and get, get loot, or just experience the world and explore. Right. That changes the world around him. The other just kind of takes commands and lets somebody else change the world. Which is uh, not necessarily bad. But right, no. right. I'm not, I'm not suggesting that at no, all. No, no, for but, sure. I, um, I agree, yeah. Regardless, if the player characters seek to become heroes or tyrants, they seek to be agents of change. And mm -hmm. one of the best ways to do that is to incorporate um, dastardly plots that leverage the change that they want. I think, in, in my mind, this is basically pointing to tying the things that are important to the character to the to plot the in some way, yep. shape, or form. That's it doesn't have to it. be super direct, but it, it has to be there. You're not going to want to send, you know, uh, Merle Bronson, who absolutely loves techno gizmos and gears and figuring stuff out, to a place with no techno gizmos and gears. Right, Instead, right. sending them a place like Ravnica. Although, I'll admit, if you send them to someone that has no techno gizmos, Get gizmos. I assure you, the job will get done very fast. <laughs> so you get out of there. He'll make it techno gizmos, right? That's fair. That's um, fair. And so we want to be, we want to uh, kind of steer those changes in the stories into those uh, desired goals of the, the characters, right? Mm -hmm. 
uh, enter the plot or, in other words, the outline or script of the story. What was that? Project. I am. I have the mic right here. I'm plenty loud enough. <laughs> uh, sorry. Oh, where was I at? Or a script of the story. Often a book, movie, or similar medium. Depending on the skill of the writer and forethought placed into it, <laughs> may be convoluted or it may be festooned with diversion and subplots within. In the end, there is generally an overarching plot. Yeah. Usually, yep. There's a giant theme going on. Yeah. So here we're talking about outlining a script as a a, a story-driven, you know campaign or whatever whatever mm-hmm. tool you're using um it's okay to have convoluted stories oh, as yeah. long as you plan to do something with them at some point every right. movies have plot holes books have plot holes it happens it's okay because you oh, might yeah. decide i've got all these ideas oh the players turned out they're not interested in that you're gonna end up with a convoluted story as you're trying to figure out what they're interested in that that is okay mm-hmm. yep and unlike a novel or a movie where the goal is to entertain but here, there's only one writer who lays out the plot and string events together. And uh, that also includes, like, the role-playing plots can get not only uh, to help choose the events to engage in, they can alter it significantly. Yeah. Shaping the unfolding story is the core of D&D. Yes. Um, we can't, we wow. can't stress that enough. Yeah, um, no kidding. <laughs> and that's why you, as a dungeon master, as a game master, as players, have to be, you know, kind of flexible. So mm-hmm. there is... And I mentioned this when we started. There's much satisfaction in in slaying monsters, looting treasure, discovering secret lore and locations. These can often be forgettable, unless, of course, you pull the sword of Zariel out and use a plot point to completely shape it into something else for your selfish, greedy needs. Oh yeah, that was something. Let me tell yeah. you. Hey, you um, you allowed it. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> but what makes memorable <laughs> moments and lasting satisfaction in role playing is when the player feels their characters have achieved something meaningful. Like yep. corrupting the Sword of Zario. <laughs> yes, you bastard. <laughs> when their actions change the world in some way. That is why it is critical when you're designing your Dungeons & Dragons stories and campaigns to ensure that the plots must be flexible. Keeping this hidden from your players lets them feel as if their characters are uncovering the plot, not the player this is something i really really struggle with and so it meant a lot to me because it's very hard to do it's hard not to want to talk to your players and sneak in hey i'm thinking about this hey i want to do this hey i want to do that what do you think about this um but in order to craft craft a dastardly plot you need to restrain that. Find a, a spouse, another friend who doesn't play D&D, somebody that you can vent to. Or someone not in the same group <laughs> right. but also plays yeah. D&D. So you, they can be like, yeah, I like that. Yes, you want to you really get that off your chest. Yes. Um, because that's really going to be something that's meaningful. I know that when I watch a movie or read a book and I figure something out ahead of time, that's super exciting for me. And as a player, oh, yeah. it's the same way. Mm-hmm. When I make a connection as a player and a character that nobody else thought of and turns out to be the thing, that is like crazy exciting and really gets me involved as a player. Um, and as a DM, it's very rewarding when the players make those connections or if their characters roll a D20 and learn a little piece of lore and gradually put it together, whether mm-hmm. it's the player or the character. So with all that being said... Today's topic is seven tips to help craft dastardly plots for Dungeons and Dragons. Right. So, Austin, what is a dastardly plot? So, what the villains are up to make up the dastardly plots that provide resistance to PCs in most fantasy role-playing campaigns, forcing them into adventures and are the plots that concern us there. Pretty much any scheme hatched by a villain, no matter how big or small, that is designed to help prevent the characters from potentially stumbling into or stopping the same villain scheme that is underway is considered a dastardly plot, at least according to Ed Greenwood, which, uh, you know, probably probably a good word of advice. Guy knows his stuff. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) kind of important. The guy's a librarian, too, for a while, so. Yeah, you know. Really? Yeah. I did not know that. That's pretty interesting. He's done a lot. Well, that's what he was before he got into writing. You know, I had the privilege of being on an interview show with him. Nice. It was super exciting, and I was really trying hard not to fanboy. But anyway. (laughs) He looks like a wizard. (laughs) He does look like a wizard. He does look like a wizard. (laughs) So, so smaller plots that link to a much larger plots tend to last longer and have much more influence on the gameplay as a whole. Would you agree? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Um, 
because they're kind of layered like an onion or an ogre, I guess, Mm -hmm. (laughs) the plots become, you know, interconnected and require the heroes to spend more time uncovering each strand to understand how they are connected. Um, And defining what a dastardly plot is just the start. Um, We want to... We want to talk about what makes a plot juicy and memorable. What makes a story thrilling and exciting to be part of um, and drive the story forward to uncover those secrets. You want the players to run and say, oh my god, I, I want to know why did that happen? Who exactly. was involved in that? Yeah. What is their motivations? You know, and, and keep in mind, this doesn't simply apply to the DM. Uh, characters can have their own plots as well. This is something that was super intriguing me to read about because... When we ask a player to give us a a, a backstory or a, um, a a bit about their character, a bond, a mm-hmm. flaw, you're basically asking them to write su- small subplots for the campaign, right? Uh-huh. Essentially. Um, That's why it's important to make those decisions when you <laughs> and, make a character. And they're, the characters and players, they, they, they enjoy scheming and politicking just as much as the Dungeon Master. Not all players, but obviously that that's... You know, you need to know your group, right? For sure, for sure. Um, this means that we need to ensure each plot of the story point is somehow connected to a dastardly plot. So mm-hmm. even the small machinations that are going on should somehow be interconnected to this big, big kind of ongoings in your Dungeons & Dragons games. So we've narrowed these down to seven helpful tips um, that we think every dastardly plot has. So we're going to give you these seven tips, and we're also going to kind of give our thoughts on how we would implement them mm-hmm. into our games or stories, or maybe give some examples of things we have run into in the past, either we've seen in a game or we've been a part of. For sure. Um, uh, Ian, would you like to tell us what the first dastardly plots include? The first is, it must contain both mystery and menace. It must contain the unknown and a threat. <laughs> Why do you think that's necessary? What's going on here? And a threat, it doesn't have roadblocks that... For you to overcome. That's actually a pretty good answer. I like that. So, um, do you have any good examples? Either of you have any good examples of this? My immediate thought is uh, uh, just a char- like an important character death. Okay. Because uh, the reason I say that is because if the character is important, you would likely think, oh, they're going to stick around in the story for much longer. Okay. But when they suddenly stop becoming part of the story, that's when the issues start to arise. Why are they not here anymore? Right. That's actually a really Why good is this point. important character who should have been through with us for an extended period of time is no longer with us? So who did this? Why did it happen? That's a good example because that just kind of happened. We just started our new uh, actual play show called mm-hmm. uh, Plane Shifters. And, you know, they plane shifted with some incalculations and ended up in Ravnica instead of Forgotten Realms, them and the entire city of Eltorel. Oh, we didn't know it's Ravnica yet. Well, you, your players don't know. The players know, but the characters don't, Yeah, the characters don't know. Um, So, and that's an example of a failure on my part, right? That's exactly what we're talking about. Is that plot I didn't hide, I didn't keep secret? (laughs) Do you think it would have been a bigger reveal if you guys slowly discovered you were on Ravnica versus me just saying that? Yeah, but to be fair, I think you would like uh, change the plot a few times too. So, uh, (laughs) and and that just happened in the Plane Shifter one, right? There's a very important character that was supposed to kind of have certain things going on in my plot, but because Austin's characters got turned to stone during the battle... I kind of took control of the other character. I gave him control of the other character, and he ended up getting swooped away, and now he's been dropped into the city. So the first thing I thought of... He did break free, though. uh, He did break free. He dropped really high from the sky, too. He was busting in on some noble people. But anyways. Yeah. um, So now, as a dungeon master, I have to tie actions that he's doing in the city written. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of an expansion. And now that's going to be a mystery, I hope, to the players and the characters. I have no idea what's going to happen Where the hell did uh, Duke Ravenguard go? Yeah, I have no idea. Did they capture him? Do they... And uh, Matt Matt makes an interesting observation, too, where he says, for a destiny plot, as a player, his guess was Zariel direct Eltrail to Avernus so they can make more soul coins. Oh, that's good. I like that. I'm not stealing that at all. That's a good point. Yep. I gotta get used to jump. I'm not, I still can't, I need to put one of you in charge of jumping the camera back and forth, because this is, I, can't, I don't have the skill set or the focus. Uh, anyway, so, uh, oh, shut up. Uh, so, the other thing you mentioned was menace. What do you think it means by having menace? It's a, a sense of danger, tension, or threat. In my I, opinion, I think that's a that's a good example. So, so probably something along the lines of, you know, that this being is powerful, 
and like they've clearly shown a display of power either by uh intelligence or actual raw you know magical manifestations or you know whatever it doesn't matter they just have to show that they can overcome what the characters can do now yeah and it's in an obvious like so in the example uh, we just mentioned plane shifters our ongoing game mm-hmm. or just our new game um you guys ran into something that was very menacing right uh-huh. these insectoid things swarm the entire city after you plane shifted mm-hmm. you have yep. no idea why you know there was a lot of them and they were relatively weak right but there Not was a shots lot of here, them. but <laughs> there was a lot of them. You were swarmed, but you did run into challenges during the battles. And we did. And those guys retreated. So not yeah. only that, they also did not go down as easily as many of the other things yes. that were there. So they kind of left this kind of question mark where like Well, how strong how are they? exactly like what is the the level of power that we are in comparison to them yeah. because that's currently a I mystery. I mean, you were arguably with your legendary weapon, you were arguably one of the strongest characters. Um, and you got turned to stone like that. You're now, obviously, you know that you rolled poorly. I did roll, but the character but the doesn't character was know like, that. Whoa! I just, just got turned to, to stone after just plowing through stuff. So the yeah. threat is there. The mystery is there. Yeah. Is what happened? Where did they go? Are we going to fight them again? Who are they? <laughs> yeah. I think uh, the Emeralds versus Tilde Cap kept them in the game too. There was a Absolutely. lot of things. You're being able to fly really is uh, uh, a problem. Huge, huge no, well, not problem. It's <laughs> something that I enjoy trying to overcome. Mm. And I think every GM just like, ah, fuck flying. But no, I, I actually that. enjoy the, the mm. challenge. That's why I start putting creatures that grapple, right? Yep. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, so, why well, uh, did I grab the Gauntlet of Ogre Strength? <laughs> so the next thing uh, that dastardly plots must contain surprise or attempt to mislead. This is something that I think you will find in every good story. There, Absolutely. Typically, I think it's known as maybe a twist, right? Or yeah, a red herring, like a right? Twist. Red herring is a... Red yeah. herring for the misleading and surprise for the the um, I mean, the uh, twist. I do think that when you do a twist or mislead, you have to do it right, though. Because when you do it wrong, do wrong, you can piss right. people off big time. Yeah. Yes. So... Like, um, uh, I'm going like, to use a very quick example from the show Lost Girl. They implied over multiple seasons, very heavily, if you knew Norse mythology, that the main character's father, no, grandfather, was actually Odin. Wow, and then they didn't deliver on it, huh? Yeah, well, okay, like, the Saul his they gave was, they were known as the Wanderer, which is what Odin was known as. The imagery included like, a person with a walking stick thing, Gandalf, once again, such was Odin. Yeah. Ran into two ravens, Hugin and Mugen, oh yeah, we served your dad. <laughs> wow. And then they even mentioned... Those are the birds, right? Yeah. The they yeah. even mentioned the army of... Of the fallen warrior, of the dead warriors, Valhalla. Right, right. Then they made it Hades. Oh, See, that's a bad <laughs> plot twist. And then I was like, like, "Wait, what?" That's a little. That's a that's a crappy surprise. Yeah. Yeah. They try to fix it in later seasons. Oh yeah, we've served as uh, many pantheons over the years. Like I wasn't. Okay. This Egyptian got at one point. But was like, "No, you. Yeah. When you say you're they're Odin, you say they're Odin. You don't say Hades." Right. <laughs> So, um, another good, uh, so that's a, that's a really good example of, uh, one done poorly. Yeah. Um, and surprise can take on many forms. Um, I would say finding out that there's a bigger, stronger villain is a pretty common mm-hmm. one. Mm-hmm. Um, finding out that, that who guy... you thought was behind it isn't actually behind it. Yes, yeah, some not dude necessarily who's bit, even crazier. <laughs> yeah, not necessarily big and more powerful. It's just, they've re, they, they've got such manipulation mm-hmm. that it turns out it was the hobo in the corner that watches people move by every single day and knows exactly what they're going to do that really is controlling the story. Uh, and I also think that falls under a good red herring or a good misleading because yeah. when you're running a story, you want to be able to draw attention away from what's actually going on and the 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 the, the villain is going to do that. Mm-hmm. They're going to do everything to draw you away. What are you going to say? Now, that actually made me think of like uh, the show Supernatural where like one person like, I can't even make fun of Supernatural because I went there and made this snarky comment and said, oh, who who do they fight? How do they take down Lucifer? His more evil brother that nobody's heard of until now? Oh, for people say, you mean Metatron? <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the, um, the example that I had was uh so brent weeks uh wrote this trilogy called the night angel trilogy yes i love it uh, it's very good love me a good wet boy uh <laughs> that really sounds bad out of uh context. yeah don't don't say it's it. not a horrible in context <laughs> worst term ever mm. so and there's a particular scene that happens where uh the main character was in fact supposed to be shot and killed mm-hmm. but and in during the scene before was him and his uh his friend at the time uh were having this conversation saying how they're about to literally change the world. And the the author goes into some pretty big depth on like what the, the intentions and plans were. Right. Uh but 
there was an assassination attempt supposed to be on one of the characters, but it failed, and they shot the other one. That was the surprise. And what it was... catches you off guard. You're not expecting it. So, and on top of all of that, uh, because uh, what was going on, not only was it a mistake, but it vastly changed every because like y- you gave them all this you know this stuff like it was uh, a, a mainstay character right, right uh he was supposed to uh come up into power start doing all these things and it was very foreshadowed which i think is how you're going to get this surprise is you right, have to right. do a lot of foreshadowing, foreshadowing saying that you're going to do this and that's when you rip the carpet out from under them and saying oops we're not doing that anymore yeah because a b and c and i think that's how you should really attempt to give surprise to your players now granted doing foreshadowing is very hard especially in a game like D&D, where the plot is about as flexible as like i don't know a wet rag (laughs) so (laughs) so what okay so that we covered uh the first one mystery and menace um dastardly plots have surprise and attempt to mislead Austin, what's the third uh, tip we have here for running dastardly plots? So dastardly plots, and this can be very hard, is that it shouldn't be easily figured out. They should require extensive investigation and or exploration. Go ahead. I think where this is, this is where it falls apart for a lot of dungeon masters. Uh There is a, there is a thought, there is a belief that if a player character rolls a really high knowledge check, that they should know everything. And I would tell you that that's not true. I would say they should know more than everybody else, but not necessarily know everything. And I think it's been talked before you can't crit on skill checks for that very reason. When you're building a complex story, you don't want it to be easily figured out when the wizard with a 20 intellect and every feat imaginable that lets them have really high rolls instantly rolls really, really high. Instead, you have to consider the different types of pieces of information and what you're willing to give out based on the skill check. I recently mm-hmm. did a, a, a one minute D and D player tip or DM tip that talked about having uh, like a range ban of success. So if you roll an intelligence check and you score low, we always assume, Oh, it's a what? Oh, you don't know nothing right mm-hmm. now. I was trying hard to work with this and figure it out previously because they just entered a world and I felt bad. No, your character pretty much doesn't know anything at the moment. Um, but generally what you want to do is, okay, they roll really low. They recall something that um, the the uh, they heard rumors when they happened to be passing by in one of the inns that, one, that, you know, some muggings were happening in the north part of town. That's a different type of history check than rolling a 10 and saying, yeah, you heard that there. You overheard something along the lines that there was some muggings on the northeastern part of town, right outside of the blacksmith shop. Right. Versus a fifteen <laughs> that might be they happen in the northeast part of town, outside the blackman uh, blacksmith shops on you know the night of the full moon. Those mm-hmm. are the rumors you heard. So you can easily take... And then eventually you can even say, add more details. Yes. You know the exact blacksmith shop yes. that was... And yeah. so you can stretch that out based on checks to allow for it to feed the information to the players, but still not make it easy to figure it all out all at once. Because now you know exactly where it's at. You don't got to go out and ask more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But you still don't know what exactly going is going on. on. Yep. Yeah. Um, so now you got to set up spy shops and watch and you know all that stuff. I also do think it's worth mentioning, though, that um, sometimes the players, just by sheer dumb luck, figure out what happened right away. And yeah. don't be afraid to just give it to them. Because like yes. what, one example I can think of is there was one adventure that... Well, players or player characters? Yes. Okay. Continue. That's another discussion. But anyway... <laughs> that comes into the grounds of metagaming and what's too much. But I, I continue, sorry. Yeah. But anyway, I remember there was one game where the... Uh, d- GM basically presented a, a, a puzzle, if you will, in front of us, mm-hmm. and we figured it out within two minutes. But then the GM literally stonewalled us for over 40 minutes until he gave us the solution, which was the thing we figured out within two minutes. Yeah, and see, so that's a great <laughs> example of somebody uh, saying, hey, they figured it out, but their characters didn't, so F it. You need to go into your characters figure Which is also a great way to piss off players. Yes, so you gotta be careful of that. When we talk yeah. about it shouldn't be easily figured out, you should be okay with giving them more information if they do figure something out. 
Um, mm, which get, actually, I think, uh, get, uh, and I've, and I could, could actually give a pretty strong argument too, though, that if the players figured it out from the information that the player characters were given, it's not really metagaming at that point. <laughs> okay. Um, so, and I think that, um, this kind of leads into the next one very well, that as a dungeon master or a game master, you should consider at least two or three contingencies in place for if, okay, what happens if the player characters figure this out super fast? What am I going to do? Mm-hmm. What are the three things that I'll, I'm, I'm going to do if this happens? If they know that it's going to be at, uh, what did I say? At during the full moon. Yeah. Maybe it turns out they were right. It is on the full moon. But it's only like the every third full moon or something like that. So you can you can build and plan for that. Well, what if they figure it out quickly? You know what I mean? And yes, but like you could also even say that, um, for instance, like they feel they figure out the villain's plot, right? Mm-hmm. Well, if they figure out the villain's plot, how does the villain like what is the villain doing, and can they figure out that they know? Therefore, they can uh, change the plot further. Yes. Um. That's funny. I don't know if you happily rolled into the next plot point there, but it does talk about you should always include obvious or not um, some conspiracy, conspirators whose identities and whereabouts are known. So oh, you're saying they they figured out who the villain is and his plans, right? Yes. But he's got conspirators that now they know the plans, but they don't know who all is involved. Mm-hmm. And that can drive an interesting story, too, because sometimes people are willing to partner with people, others, mm-hmm. who have differing opinions but one set of circumstances allows them to align to achieve a specific goal and i think being able to take those contingency plans and tying them into conspirators who they don't understand or don't know is another great way to extend the complexity of a plot without diluting the value that the players have acquired in their their seek of the the investigation or whatever the the plot right right I was actually thinking about like a huge plot towards the end of season one for Dorarara in anime. <laughs> like, uh. They've been out for a while? Yeah. I vaguely okay. remember. Spoiler alert. It. Yeah. Short version, you keep on hearing this, of, of this one, of this, uh, one gang, if you will, called, called the Dollars, which mm-hmm. people knew existed, but people don't know much about it. Right. And you occasionally came across characters that say, yeah, I'm a part of it. <laughs> and but he, it would just come out randomly, you wouldn't. Yeah. And, and the show also followed up like a plot, like, uh, characters too. Okay. And, and like, basically, the season one ended where, where they basically had, like, a, the showdown, if you will, in, like, a city square, mm-hmm. and one character just, like, I press this button, <laughs> the people who are part, part of the, dollar, the dollars will appear, and you're like, yeah, right, they hit send, and then suddenly every single cell phone within the city block went off. off. <laughs> See, that reminds me, didn't that, something like that happen in, uh, John Wick, too? Yes. Where he pressed the button and then everyone just kind of turns and is watching him. Yeah, he realizes um, that everyone around him in the square block is a fucking assassin. And yes. so that that point you just touched on covers quite a few of these different ones, showing yeah. that they're good stories. It talks about menace, mystery, misleading, surprise, and of course, the uh, unknown conspirators. Mm-hmm. Because now everyone in the surrounding area, the market, was a conspirator, a conspirator of what's going on, showing just how big... This is tying back to the menace that's involved. You're like, we done effed up. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's yeah. a that's a great idea for like if your par- uh, if your players uh manage to figure out your villainous plot. Uh just say like, yeah, um they say that out loud, right? Because of course the players are gonna say that out loud, like, oh my god, I figured it out, guys. I know who the bad guy is, and they say the bad guy's name. And then everyone's head stops and the entire building stops and turns at them oh, and no. realizing they figured it out and they're like oh we've done goofed (laughs) you guys know now we can't let you leave now and now every single person in this building has to kill the player characters (laughs) oh no oh man so uh in fear or in favor of whatever the villain is doing that's actually a good point and i want to touch on that so something else that can occur when the villain if the player characters aren't are obvious about what they're doing and they're talking openly in public mm-hmm. because we want to tie it to some of the conspirators that information as you mentioned earlier can leak back to them and they can start putting in roadblocks yes. to stop them mm-hmm. or to send them out down a different dire- direction um right. this is a really great opportunity if your player characters make a lot of roles and they get something that's kind of high but not enough to succeed where they get that bare 
just just shy where you can give them some misleading information. Hey, yeah, you managed to interrogate interrogate this guy and he told you this is exactly where they're going. This is where they're going to meet up. This is the time. And you get there and it's an ambush. So yeah. he didn't lie. He was very truthful. Y'all are screwed. <laughs> but your your check doesn't reflect your your skill check value kind of reflects the information that was given, right? Mm-hmm. Now, if they had succeeded, it might be they meet here at this time at this place and you get there and they're in the meeting of a, in the middle of another meeting. Now you've got the ambush, right? Right. Or the character they don't know is the main villain leaks information to a the player character about a group meeting. When it's actually a rival group to his. Oh. So I was like, hey, they f- the PCs win. They take care of these guys. Like, I can't stand them. They want the, the difference. And they're off my track. <laughs> right. So get, that's a really get, good example. The, my enemies win. These guys are trying to figure me out. They're gone. Either way, I win. <laughs> I love that. And that that's what we're talking Smart. about. We're talking about crafting a dastardly plan, right? It all can be tied together. And what's really funny about this, and it seems kind of overly complex, is you don't need pages and pages of information to do this. All you need is one that says, "Some uh, conspirators, roll a die, half the city. <laughs> there <laughs> like, you go. It doesn't have to be miles and miles of detail. Obviously, the more detail you're willing to add, the better it's going to be. But it's just kind of a, a, a contingency plan, you know, going back to, to mm-hmm. tip number four, right? Um, so how about we move on to tip number six, Ian? All right. Tie-in flaws, bonds, or ideals of one or more of the characters. We talked briefly about this. This is something that I think 5th edition really did really well by including flaws, bonds, and ideals on character sheets. I think that's one of the the best ways for us as dungeon masters or game masters to include their characters. Because they're telling you exactly what's important to their character in two or three lines. Even if you didn't read all their backstory and you just take those segment segments, you know what to target. You know what they care about. You know, you know, what their weakness is and how to exploit it. The villains are the same way. They're going to exploit these these features of the characters. They're going to take advantage of them and they're going to lure them away with it. Uh, the most common example is a greedy rogue, right? Oh, you yeah. can't tell Absolutely. me the 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 not good rogue is not isn't for an instant, going to consider dropping, helping his players and backstabbing them if there's some rubies and diamonds involved. Oh yeah, dude. Like, <laughs> look, all I'm saying is when we did the Descent into Avernus campaign, the, when I took the, the Sword of Zariel, like, look, man, I was willing to bet so much on just grabbing that thing. <laughs> yeah. Like, I was like... If you hadn't considered like, using a plot point for that, it would have unfolded so differently. Oh, absolutely. And I would have lost my character. <laughs> right. But that was the beauty of it. Is you approached me and said, hey, I want to do this. Can I do this? This is what my character would do. Here's his flaws. And I'm like, let's do it. Yeah. And it turned out really cool. Of course, now one of my players is walking around with a legendary weapon. Uh, but I was willing to accept that when it's, I decided to do that. It's better than him walking around with an artifact weapon. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> so, uh, in your dastardly plots, your villains will exploit the bonds, ideals, and mm-hmm. flaws very, very much. I think paladins are one of the best ones to do. Oh, to uh, just to like, like rip and tear into their oaths. Yes, and just try to make them second guess their oath. Turn and, them into an oath breaker. Yes. Force them. A villain would do that. Oh, absolutely. Because I wait for the day. Not only, not only um. can the villain bring one of the party members down to their knees, but they might even convince them to join them in some capacity. Because in if my, only briefly. In my opinion, some of the best villains are the ones who are like, yeah, I can kind of see that and agree with that. And I think there's some paladins out there that ride that line. They're, you they're vengeance so... paladins. I'm talking about you. Oh yeah, those, or the conquest paladins. <laughs> yes, I those, mean like those two are the battle hungry ones. Yeah, like, they, ah, they ride know. that line, you know. So, um, and then of course, da- dastardly plots often include betrayal. That is probably one of the number one things that we see in movies and books that really get people going is a betrayal. Not just any betrayal. Oh, yeah. Something that's tied to one of the characters' bonds or all the characters' bonds. Could you imagine if Duke Ravengard just betrayed all of us? I could. Yeah. And that's, like, that's a big betrayal. If in, if we were playing Plane you... Shifters right now and old R. Ravengard was just like... Yep, sorry, guys. <laughs> Look, I... I My hands were tied. They're gonna... They basically said, if I turn you over... They'll keep my city safe. They'll keep my city safe. And you know and what? And you could not 
Could you fault him? You couldn't fault him for that. Nope. And that's yeah. that's the type of dastardly plan and betrayal that isn't... It sucks, and it's memorable, but you can see his point. Yes. I mean, and those are the things you want to tie into your stories when you're developing a dastardly plot. Um, when it's close to somebody. I've had players who said, hey... I'm tired of this character. I would like to go with something different. I was wondering if you'd be interested in allowing my character to exploit my flaw and turn on the players. That'd be cool. <laughs> and so we, we kind of brainstormed some ideas and she decided she was with the enemy. We came up with some reasons why that made sense for her character. When they all got into a room, they all went, she flipped a switch, locked them in there, and it started flooding with poisonous gas. And she said bye and left. That's that hardcore. was what she had to do. Because she was trying, she was trying to break her connection to one of the houses of the Drow. Oh, she was geez. a Drow, so yeah. in line with her character, she hated being part of this house, whatever, and and so that was that her was way the way out. out, and that was a betrayal nobody saw coming. Yeah, I mean, you're talking like two years of a campaign. Yeah, could you imagine if uh, Chiron, who is a vengeance paladin, because paladins are always mm-hmm. writing that weird line, running that line, yep. Uh, could could you imagine if? At the last moment where we could have needed him in battle most, he saw the man he swore vengeance against. He would and he had everything. to leave. He has to. He is almost forced to leave because if he didn't, <clears throat> he breaks his oath. Yes, that is amazing. Could you imagine? He had to be an oath breaker to save his friends. Could you imagine? That's such oh, a weird God. redeeming moment. Yes, yeah. that would be great. See, again, guys, paladins. Work with them. They do yes, great things. They're, they're awesome because they ride that line. They're so good. Um. Anyway, so um, <laughs> dastardly plots are something every DM should consider running and incorporating. These aren't my words. These are Green uh, Ed Greenwood's. Green this guy's been writing a lot of content. He knows his stuff. And Again, I'm going to be honest. A... You just saw how much cool ideas we came up oh, with yeah. just talking about these seven dastardly plots. Yeah, um, think about what fits for your game, your story, which directions you want to go. And apply these techniques. If you're curious, you can head on over to CritAcademy.com slash blog, and you can find the How to Craft a Dastardly Plot blog post with all this stuff in it. So, yeah. Hey, D&D players. Do you love D&D? How about an actual play with phenomenal stories, endearing characters, and a great story? How about a D&D 5e story that launches you into a sci-fi world where the players discover lost astronauts, disappearing spaceships, battle robotic beastmasters, delve into lost planetary runes? Well, then you need to check out the Homebrew Podcast. This fantastic D&D actual play takes your D&D experience into space. Join these characters through their trials and tribulations, as well as their hilarious shenanigans. Be with them when they pick up their first spaceship at Old Honest Jim's used spaceship emporium clearance yard. You should head on over and check out the Homebrew Podcast on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you find your podcasts. Me to do. do you guys got anything else before we move on? Oh, man. If we keep talking, we'll be here all day. Yeah, yeah. I know. I know. I know. <laughs> all right. So that'll do it for our main topic, our seven tips to help craft dastardly plans and uh, daf- dastardly plots in Dungeons & Dragons. Before we move yeah. on to our honor tips and tricks, we have a special gift to give away. We kind of moved it towards the middle section this time around. But don't worry. We didn't forget. Our RPG Fat Loot giveaway today is Whitaker's Well of Wondrous Items. You might have heard us say this maybe a couple times on the show. More than once. Uh, yep. Maybe more than twice. I'm not just saying that because I wrote it either. No, yeah, no. Yeah. So, Whitaker's Wondrous Well imbues mundane items with powerful magic. Inside, you will find three generators for magic items. These can be used to spice up any game as instantly generated loot or to diversify the weapons of enemies. Within are weapons with incredible effects such as immolating the flesh of foes that their steel bites into or simpler ones that emit light in dark times. One may find uh, one may also find armors that can withstand the toxic corrosiveness of a dark dragon mm. or the frigid cold of an ice mage. Finally, there lie potions that can still ma- uh, still the mind of the drinker and solidify their inner walls to prevent prying charms or spells from peeking or interfering within. Use this book for it all. It is here to serve you. Man, whoever wrote this did a fantastic job. Yeah, I gotta I say, really wondered. It's hands off to him. <laughs> If you just like that whole, like, uh, dungeon looting kind of, like, Diablo-styled yes. kind of ARPG thing, this is kind of for you. That's that's Path of Exile, baby. Bam! Path of Exile is another great example. Yep. But don't worry. Our winner today for it is Green Bay Champion 1.
if they didn't win? Yeah, don't worry about it. If you didn't win, you can head over to CritAcademy.com and subscribe to get a complimentary copy of your best-selling D&D supplement challenge accepted and to be entered for your chance to win more fat loots like this. Did I hear him right? Yeah. Did he say not only are you being entered to win loot every week, but you're going to get a free copy of one of our bestsellers? Yeah, it's insane, isn't it? Yeah, it's almost like I planned that. It's almost like your marketing team is impeccable. <laughs> right? <laughs> um, if you have, if you don't know, Challenge Accepted is, uh, uh, I think it's a gold bestseller right now. Takes some of my favorite uh, fourth edition skill challenges and brings them to 5e, and they are awesome. And you can get Highly it for recommend. free. Head on over to uh, CritAcademy.com and, and, and subscribe. You have no idea how cool it is and how much you're missing out on it. And of course, you'll be entered to win other stuff too. Yes, I'm super excited for this because uh, I think that's a a hell of a reason to subscribe to the show. Um, With that, let us move on to our Unearthed Tips and Tricks. And now, what you've all been waiting for. Our Unearthed Tips and Tricks segment, where we bring you new and reusable material for both players and DMs. Austin, would you like to tell us our character concept today? Absolutely. So our character concept today is the seducer. I assure you my reputation is exaggerated, at least a little. But my reputation had to have piqued your curiosity, or you wouldn't be here, would you? No, no, I wouldn't. (laughs) You can't keep away from romantic liaisons with the attractive and the alluring, or with those who relate to a particular fetish. (laughs) And weird fetishes out there. (laughs) There's some strange ones. It exists. Mm. (laughs) Uh, and after practice, you're good at it, having slept your way through a dozen manor houses and noble villas. How mercenary are your seductions? Do you genuinely fall in love easily? Or is there always an ulterior motive? Always. (laughs) Always. If the rogue's out there, always. (laughs) Are you motivated by the sheer beauty of your parameters, the chase and conquest, or the fringe benefits of betting the wealthy and influential? Is there someone who got away... Or someone unusually resistant to your charms. Do you know what I like about this character concept? What? I want to do it with a uh, whisper. Whisp- what is the whisper? Uh, College of Whispers Bard. College of Whispers. Someone who uh, sleeps around and uses that to spend the one minute required to get information and just start manipulating the hell out of the uh, the, the noble people to get what they want. It's pretty smart. <laughs> At least that was what was going on in my mind. That's actually really clever. <laughs> I didn't even think about that, because of course it's going to take longer than a minute. Why wouldn't it? Right, right. Well, I guess it depends on who you are. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe maybe a minute isn't always... uh... I'm so glad they don't hear us right now. (laughs) Well, the people there can, and it's still recording. Yeah, I guess it's Uh, Hopefully uh, Seth will cut out some of this uh, in the editing. (laughs) Maybe tie it at the end. (laughs) Yeah, Seth, put it on like our whatever. We have like bloopers, I guess. Uh, I love that you can. So you know, it's still maybe making a battle master because they can do the whole like if they see somebody or like observe somebody for a minute, they can like get some checks on them. Okay, <laughs> that's a kind of way to go. <laughs> this battle master fighter is going around sleeping with people and figuring stuff out because that's how they do it. Oh, jeez, that's that's horrible. <laughs> I gotta change this. For it to go live again. So I, like, I think that that's pretty cool. What kind of other classes besides the bard can you guys run with the seducer theme? In theory, any of them. Okay, how about a paladin? How'd you get the most out of a paladin? You serve a goddess of love. I guess. Okay. Um, yeah. He hit no, that, he hit that on pretty good. I guess so. Path of Redemption or the Oath of Ooh, Redemption. Oath of Redemption. I slept with too many people. <laughs> so now I'm sleeping with more <laughs> to redeem myself. And I've definitely seen a, and I've definitely seen like a concept of like a, of a, of a, of a bard who, who actually is going against the opposite of being a seducer, whereas everybody else in the party is a woman who is a seducer. <laughs> I love that. Actually, I just thought, like, the whole... Uh, and he's actually trying to run away from his own group all the time because they won't stop hitting on him. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. I just thought about the whole, like, Oath of Redemption thing. Oh, yeah? And he, like, sleeps with them. And then after <laughs> he's done, he's like, Now, we must involve in, pr- in prayer <laughs> to cleanse the sin we just had. <laughs> he does it after everyone. <laughs> after everyone. Oh, my gosh. That's I'm horrible. Gonna, I'm gonna burn it is now. horrible. <laughs> I thought about it, I was like, ah, oh, I'm going to burn. Right. Uh, all right, with that, we will go on to our monster variant. So today's monster variant is the Tainted Trent. That sounds dirty. <laughs> 
So uh, the tainted Trent, you're going to start with the origin of the black dragon, a oh. uh, young black dragon. It's going huh. to lose the the fly feature, swim, bite, claw, and it loses one of its multi attacks down to two from three. It is yeah. a tree after all. Well, the powers that we give it make it so it's too strong if we let it keep three attacks. So, <laughs> um, so the first feature you're going to give it is the tainted aura. The Trent ah, yes. give uh, releases uh, toxic <clears throat> spores. A living creature that enters for the first time or ends its turn within 10 feet of the Trent must succeed on a DC 14 con saving throw or take 2d6 acid damage on a failed save or half as much on a success. Right there is why we had to get rid of the attacks, because you're just going to take damage bearing near it, yeah, uh, which cool. is certainly a problem. Then like we're it. also going to give it the Vine Whip. It, when it makes a melee uh, melee weapon attack, plus 7, 2d10 to uh, plus 4 slashing damage, uh, with a reach of 15 feet. That's important. Also and 1d8 acid damage. Yeah. And 1d8 acid damage. I, I, yeah. I, yeah. Um, and it has a really large reach. That's really, really important. Yes. Um, if the target is a creature, it must succeed on a DC 14 con save or become diseased. The target's Ew. flesh begins to harden into a rough, blackened tree bark, and their legs begin to sprout roots. The target's AC can't be reduced to less than 16, regardless of what kind of armor it's wearing. The target's speed is reduced by 10 feet every round until it reaches zero. Additionally, the target becomes vulnerable to acid damage. Yeah. So you might be asking yourself, but Justin, why would you? What What is the benefit of turning them into a tree? You it just sounds fun. <laughs> and they can't move. And they can't move, right? And it that's just really sounds like a good time, right? Uh-huh. Yeah, so yeah. It, I mean, oh, giving I could... a character a, an AC boost, trading off their their mobility as a punishment, I just think is cool. <laughs> like when you first describe how their ar- our bodies getting harder and. You know, the enemy smashes into them and they miss because it smashes into the hard bark. Just sounds cool. Till you realize there's shit spewing out of your out of your uh, legs. They're like calves. <laughs> and starting to stick into the ground. And you're like, oh, God, wait a minute. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, I really like this. I think uh, <laughs> there needs to be more trance in, 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 in uh, forest-type mm. entities. Uh, I almost wanted to make a, a, a flaming uh, trent, but then I realized that was probably a terrible idea. Because, you know, they're vulnerable to fire. And I was like, why does that got to stop me? But I end up going with the acid one uh, of the Black black Lagoon type creature. What do you guys mm. think? I could, I'd love to see these in like a swamp. Yes. Yep. That's where I'm imagining immediately. This would be a pain to deal with. Let's be real here. Especially if it you're a melee fighter. <laughs> well, yeah, because the, the aura itself is a, is a pain. Because not only is the aura um, like 10 feet. But it has a 15-foot reach, so see, even if you stand outside the aura's range, it can still kind of get yeah. you. Um, so it's definitely meant to be something where the players have to come up with a tactical way to deal with it. Kind um, of at range, even. Like, even your, like, your melee fighters are going to kind of look at it and be like, I don't really want to walk in there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll do it if I have to, but I mean... Uh... Well, but some of them will, though. That's the thing, is there's so many players that just, like... I can take this and charge right in and just take the extra damage, but it piles up pretty quick after a few rounds. Especially if you get hit with that vine whip thing, and now you can't move out of the aura. Yeah, now you're which is the whole the whole combination. There is Mm -hmm. one. The aura is deadly, but if he hits you with this vine whip and you get stuck, and theoretically all the player characters will just ongoingly slowly, you know, Mm. mount. Even if you had like a high con save, like one d six every turn, that adds up real fast. Like. That's even if you assume you survived every saving throw. Yep. And that's then, assuming yeah, that. And it missed you with attacks. Yeah. You're and still going to take which it. Is a and if you can't seven. move, um, and I don't think I touched on it on here, um, but the only way to get rid of the effect is a cure disease or something, which yep. is fine when you have player characters that have those powers. Yeah. But I think most of those powers are touch. Yep. Yeah. So, Although paladins are kind of a little bit away from that, they can't they, be diseased. I think they can't be diseased. So yeah. there is some. So there is there's some, some leeway for yeah. them. Um, all right. With that, we will move on to our encounter of the podcast. The encounter is irregular business at Rose Keep. Oh, I love this one. The characters are approached by one Lalita Liladan. Say that five times fast. A noble mage whose family sits on the governing council of the city. Oh boy. La Leda indicates she wishes to employ the adventurers as spies. She believes mm-hmm. the Red Wizards of the Enclaves are in cahoots with the local thieving guilds, 
and she thinks they are acting as a fence by reselling their ill-gotten gains as if they were merchandise purchased from other enclaves along the coasts. Hmm. In truth, Laletta has no such beliefs. She secretly wants the characters to, uh... She secretly wants to send the characters to Rose Enclaves to, at minimum, disrupt their business operations at Rose Keep. Or better yet, eliminate one more of the Red Wizards. Adventurers are want to swing swords first and ask questions later, in her experience. How's Not wrong. Yeah. House Lila then secretly backed a black market slave ring, and according to her contacts, the red wizard named Doran Dawnbringer, an archmage, has been making inquiries into the business. She'd rather avoid the competition without making it appear as if she had anything to do with the matter, and even if it does come to everyone's attention that she sent the characters into Rose Keep, well, she did it only because she thought the Enclave concealed offense. Talk about dastardly plots! Mm-hmm. Yep. This is, uh, obviously, I, this was written based on our topic today. Um, it's got a lot of little in, uh, contingency plans yep. and um, deception, even between the, the, the main characters players. and the... Uh, um, what do you guys think about it? Yep. I feel like I would not figure this out, knowing me. <laughs> well, I mean, you can always do skill checks and stuff, right? That's yep. what they're there for. But, yeah. But that's the whole point, is this person... Wants you to sneak in to do something. Yep. But what she says she wants you to do isn't really what she wants you to do. Mm-hmm. And I think that that just means uh, a much more interesting and thorough uh, encounter. If you like politicking and um, deceit and espionage, this is the sort of encounter that you want to run in your D&D yep. games. Uh-huh. So. And you can easily just switch the names around and mm-hmm. build it to your own world if you're homebrewing or anything. Absolutely. Yep. I see, you notice it doesn't say Red Wizard's a fan. I don't want to get sued. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So yes. Uh, all right, I think that'll do it for our encounter of the podcast. Austin, would you like to tell us about our magic item? Sure. Our magic item today is the barbed displacement whip of mastery, forged with the Whittaker's Well of wondrous magic items. See how cool that name is? Yeah, that's so, one of my favorite parts of Whittaker's, the awesome affixes and suffixes. That mm-hmm. it. So it's a whip, and <laughs> it's uh, it's very rare and it requires attunement. Uh, this whip was crafted from the tendrils of a creature that could craft an illusion to displace its locations, uh, giving the appearance as if it was standing in a different location. A creature attuned to this weapon gains the following benefits. When you roll on a damage die for an attack you make with this weapon, you can re-roll the die and must use the new roll, even if the new roll is a 1. Uh, when nice. an enemy hits you with a weapon attack as a reaction, you can speak this weapon's command word. If you do, the weapon projects an illusion that makes you appear to be standing in a place near your actual location, causing any creature to disadvantage on attack rolls against you. Sounds familiar. Yeah, I wonder why. <laughs> uh, if you take damage, this effect ceases to function. This property cannot be used again until you finish a short or long rest. Speak this item's command word and harness its hidden potential. You can make a single weapon attack as a bonus action on each of your turns for one minute. Can't use it again until the next dawn. So, pretty that's potent nice. weapon. Uh, that's why it's very rare. Um, again, with the uh, the whole displacement thing, uh, it allows you to keep the player safe. And it's just, overall, you can even like re-roll your damage. Like It's it's yeah. pretty potent. I like, I like the re-rolling damage because it increases the average damage with the whip needs because it's mm-hmm. 1d4, I think. It's pretty low overall, um, yeah. But the fact that it allows you to be a... Um, gain the powers of the Displacement Beast mm-hmm. is super potent defensively. And then, on top of that, you can gain an extra attack as a bonus action once a day for an entire combat, basically. basically which I yeah. think is, is is really good. And this was totally generated uh, randomly by Whitaker's Well of Wondrous Items. Yep. I just rolled on some charts, tossed it together, um, and that just kind of shows the versatility of it. Um, the thing I like about this the most is that it's a whip. Yeah. You which, don't get those very often. Yeah. There, there's is, is there, Can anybody think of any actual magical whips in the DMG or any not, of the... the, no, the top, not any of the product Xanathers? Not on my head. That, see, that's the problem. Is with this, you don't know what you're gonna get. You don't know what type of armor piece you're gonna get, whether it's a necklace or a wrist or whatever wondrous piece or a of sickle. A sickle. Don't see sickles. I had a uh, I had a lightning sickle uh, come up that I gave uh, one of the players in our Patreon game, and all it does is convert the damage to lightning. That's all it does, and he's like, "That's so cool! I want to use it." It just so happened that I ended up having him fight some uh, enemies that were uh, um, vulnerable to lightning. Vulnerable to lightning. That's so funny. So. I mean, that was part of the plan. Funny. Funny how that worked out. Yeah. So, uh, I think that'll do it for our magic item. 
Yeah. Uh, I already forgot the name of it because I don't have my note up. It is the Barbed Displacement Whip of Mastery. Wonderful. It is a long name. Our Dungeon Master tip of the podcast is the nobility, lords, ladies, and heralds. There's many of them. Nobles are born, not made. The exceptions to this are local lords and heralds who are individuals appointed by a king or queen to govern a town or a group of towns in the ruler's name. Upon selecting a local lord, the ruler grants the person a noble title, if she or he does not already hold one. Hmm. Each lord defends the local farms, dispenses the king or queen's justice, keeps the peace, serves as the king or queen's eyes and ears, and collects tithes for the king or queen, and for him or herself. Each lord or lady must have someone who serves as a clerk or record keeper and is a trained herald. The relationship between the land nobility and the appointed local lords is good, though many established families treat local servants of the crown as no more than royal lackeys, to be bossed about or flattered as need be. This comes from the Dungeon Master 365. I really like this Dungeon Master tip because in in three small little segments... You mean Dragon Magazine What did I say? Dungeon? Dungeon Master. Yeah, Dragon Magazine 365. (laughs) Um, I really like this because it gives us a short consensus of what the hierarchy and the responsibilities are the noble besides handing out quests to adventures. Yep. And because of that, I think it gives a great opportunity to flesh out your world by saying... Uh, having them, you know, come out and knock on, you know, the inn and start collecting tithes from even the adventurers. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's something that is lost in a lot of D&D, but is captured in a lot of movies and books where the locals despise the Lord because they're doing a job of collecting taxes when most of the time the tax collection isn't the the local nobles real. That's what they're paid. To, that's what they're told to do. It's not right. always they are doing it for their own gain, though I guess they are, but they're doing it because somebody else told them, but everyone that's local holds that person accountable, no matter how high or bad it it, it drains their their resources. Um, What do you guys think about when it comes to nobility in your D&D games and how they're kind of uh, um, expressed, uh, showed? Yeah. Think of a right word. I think a lot of it comes down to, though, how the DM portrays them, because they can be used in many ways, as a protagonist or an antagonist or even a quest giver in some cases. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I actually find it really hard to actually portray a lord or lady uh, as, as something other than this kind of like snobby individual that just happens to <laughs> own this really nice place. Cause like immediately you, the, the players reactions are always like they, they, they have like this connotation to them already where right, they're right. like, uh, these people have just have a lot of money. They're well off. They don't have to fight or anything. And that's, they're bastards for that, <laughs> yes. but builds up a lot of animosity. Yes. And it's not even always the case too, but although in descent and Avernus, that was completely different because this person had actually like literally made a deal with the devil and, Right. Through all of Avernus into hell. Not that. Uh, through all of Eltrell into hell. <laughs> Which was kind of bad. Right, so right. maybe there's already so Even in like regular D&D content, you kinda, it's hard to find one that isn't that bad. But that's not always the case because there you can make like the lord or like the prince or something. Because even in like history, like uh, the Black Prince of England, for instance, always fought with his soldiers and whatnot. So, that's amazing that's why i was like at least um, from what i remember my history is a little little uh weak right now but yeah. <laughs> he did uh i know he did do some some cool stuff with his soldiers very at the very cool. least he led like a cavalry i believe yeah anything to add? nope all right that'll do it for our dungeon master tip um yeah the the nobility yeah thank you <laughs> uh our player tip of the podcast is don't, don't be, be a, a dick. dick and you can avoid dickitude by knowing when to fight you will win. Oh, this comes from the art of war for D and D players um, by the legendary M.T. Black, based on work from Sun Tzu. Mm-hmm. Quote from Sun Tzu: "You will win if you know when to fight and when not to fight. If you know the enemy and know yourself, you need not fear the result of a hundred battles. Almost every monster you meet." while on an adventure is dangerous but not all of them are hostile yes a lot of creatures in uh, an adventure environment attack on sight 
So when mm-hmm. something doesn't attack, it's worth keeping your sword in your sheath if you can uh, for a few moments while you try to start up a conversation and understand why. Um, understand why, right? Yeah. Why would you want to talk to a monster? Well, there are a lot of things that are friendly or neutrals and are just trying to, you know, survive. Yeah. Um, and may be able to tell you more information about the inv- adventuring environment. And I think this is really cool. Some good examples might be uh, the Bullywogs, right? They're clearly a monster stat block. They clearly can fight. They're designed mm-hmm. to fight. Lizard folk too, right? These yep. are things that you would consider, players is going to consider a monster. But if you take a moment to talk to these people and they don't attack on site, you can learn the location of big threats, boss monster potentially. Maybe there's a local dragons who's, you know, swamp you're in, right? Mm-hmm. The history of the local area, that can come in play when you're fighting certain types of monsters or need allies. The location of any potential prisoners in the area. If there's, you know, adventurers are constantly failing at what they are adventuring, and sometimes they end up as, you know, on a spit somewhere. <laughs> Which, by the way, Ewoks are carnivorous, and that's disturbing. They are. Um, the identity of an important <laughs> enemy that might be in the area uh, can be revealed to you, because sometimes they just... They just want to be left alone. Uh, and they'll it, let you know. They're like, hey, uh, this bass has been kind of like causing problems for us. Uh, so here he is. And now you know what the big bad evil guy is because you just happen to be nice to a monster one And they day. might turn around and say, and just so you know, he's got three traps with giant tree trunks that just swing down and slam into you. Bulldoze you. <laughs> I just thought about how just the other week when running um, Princess of the Apocalypse, the players walked into a room full of ogres, and they ex- got ready to fight, and they were like, hey, how's it going? You're, you're not attacking us? No. Why? We're told to attack guys like, from that direction. <laughs> you came from that direction. <laughs> I love that, playing on their, their, their stupidity. Oh. You kill anybody that comes through that door. The adventurers came through that one. Aren't you going to attack us? No. You didn't come from that door. <laughs> and so they're all huddled around, waiting around the one yeah. door. That's hilarious. And the was like, these guys are stupid, and just walked away. <laughs> and But that's okay. And you might even be able to get it. So exactly who are you waiting for, you know? Yep. Um, how are you planning to beat them? You know, what's your guys' secret, you know? Take advantage of the incompetent, right? What's, um, what's our, our secret? Uh, big muscles, protein drink. <laughs> get, uh, you guys don't look familiar. We're new. Oh, okay. <laughs> where can we find some of this protein drink you might be able to learn uh, secret passages or secret doorways um, they may have information to weaknesses of creatures in the area maybe a powerful monster mm-hmm. maybe you might know what they might be able to say oh yes big giant T-Rex loves lamb well if you bring a lamb or polymorph something into a lamb and send it you might be able to draw away the T-Rex while you go you know, <laughs> another around it I'm not picturing a barbarian chucking sheep at a <laughs> T-Rex. <laughs> it just hits him. It was not the impact I was looking for. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Quick, I have lamb. Map. <laughs> <laughs> the T-Rex is just uh, like... Oh. <laughs> so, Confused. Uh, I think that... Confused T-Rex noises. <laughs> <laughs> so overall, um, those are some pretty good uh, Dungeon Master tips. Um, from the, you know, knowing, or not Dungeon player tips, knowing when to fight is something that a lot of players forget. Um, and they don't leverage the fact that not yeah. every monster is out to kill them. Um, I remember I had a, a lovely conversation with a mind player once. Was that in my game? No, I was in my game. Was yeah, it was your game. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, you guys uh, went we down walked the big up to, uh, hole. And then... Yeah, and there was just a mind player. He was like, Oh, hey, it's me and my wife here. How's it going? I'm like, yes. oh, you're married? He's like, yeah, we, why, why wouldn't we be? That was so funny because, yeah, <laughs> I mean, what are you going to find? You happen to stumble into a, a giant stalagmite uh, or tight that was yeah. just carved out and that was his, his home. And he's like, yeah. yeah, I'll help you get where you're going. Just can you go do this thing for me? He's like, just kind of leave us alone. And it was please. funny because I think you guys were too low, too low to actually really probably successfully take him down. Probably. And one of the characters was like, do you think we could take him? Like, should we go a different direction? He's this little slur with his tentacles and shit. It was great. I was just I like, hey, it. I mean, he's not hitting us, so hey, whatever. Right, and that's sometimes how it goes. Alrighty, uh, I think that'll do it for our honor tips or our player tip of the podcast. Don't, don't be a, a dick. dick, and you can avoid dick too by checking out our "Don't Be a Dick" segments. Yeah, just uh, them. with that, uh, <laughs> please join us on our next episode. Where we'll be discussing five most underused monsters. 
we pulled a hundred or so people, and we're going to tell you what they thought. So, uh, we recently ran a contest on TikTok to give away a free one-year Ascendant level subscription to Obsidian Portal. So I just want to say congratulations to Dragonlord184 on TikTok. So that's super exciting. If you don't know, we're on all the major social media platforms. TikTok being one of them. We just passed, I think, uh, 14,000. Yeah. I don't know how many people we got. We had a lot. Yeah. So I'm really excited. More than 10K, so that's great. Right, right, right. (laughs) Uh, All right. So uh, with that. If you enjoy the show and you want to support us, feel free to head over to CritAcademy.com. You'll find all of our show notes and stuff there so you can see what we're actually trying to talk about and realize (laughs) that it's very off base. Uh, (laughs) You can follow us on all of our social media, especially TikTok and YouTube uh, and Twitch. Uh, It's just our most popular forms of medium that we're on. Oh, and Facebook. Go to Facebook, too. We're there, too. Yes. It's worth noting that I found out that once we get a certain number of TikTok or Twitch subscribers, I won't be able to stream to multi-platform. Yeah. So there's going to be a point where we probably won't be streaming to everything. Twitch. But oh, you're a Twitch. Through that, <laughs> uh, we're we we are 50 people away from 2,000 subscribers on YouTube. So that's awesome. Um, if you're watching this or listening to this and haven't subscribed, go subscribe. You might be the person that pushes us over the 2,000 mark. It'd be awesome. Yeah. I'd be really excited. And, uh, of course, we're on all of those podcatchers, such as iTunes and Spotify. Just leave us a review on iTunes. All of it. It'd be awesome. Because we can talk cool about ourselves, but you can talk cool about us, and that means way more. (laughs) That's the show. I think that'll do it for our show today. I am your host, Justin. I'm your co-host, Austin. And I'm your co-host, Ian. Thanks for listening. Keep your blades sharp and spells prepared, heroes.